Right, well, this morning we're carrying on this series of respectable sins, and we're looking at envy, jealousy, and competitiveness. Now, the danger of calling this whole series respectable sins is that it can wrongly give the impression that these sins are less serious than other sins. But if we're in any doubt at all, just listen to what the Apostle Paul says about envy and jealousy. This is from Romans chapter 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And then also from Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And this, of course, is a very serious matter. We see envy and jealousy listed amongst the vile sins that the Apostle Paul catalogues in Romans and Galatians. And as we can see from some of the other Bible passages, and had I carried on reading these passages, the consequences can be deadly. So, let me start with some definitions, and all the definitions I'm going to use this morning are from the book Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. So, first of all, envy. Envy is the often resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. Let me repeat that. Envy is the often resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. Sometimes we want that same advantage for ourselves, and that can lead to the further sin of covetousness. And sometimes we just resent the other person having what we don't have. But of course we don't just envy people in general. Usually there are two conditions that tempt us to envy. Firstly, we tend to envy those with whom we most closely identify. And then secondly, we tend to envy in them the areas that we value most. So let me give you some very quick examples. If we're a student, we might envy someone who is clever and can get away with doing less work. It's so easy for them and it's hard for us. Or we may envy someone who has a better paid job than us. Or if we're married, we may envy the fact that someone else's young children are developing faster than ours, and so on. So that's the definition of envy. What about jealousy? Well, of course, it's closely linked to the sin of envy. In fact, we often use these two words to mean the same thing, but there is a subtle difference between them. And again, this will help us to see the sinfulness of our hearts as we focus in on this. Jealousy is usually defined as intolerance of rivalry. Intolerance of rivalry. Now, of course, one needs to say right up front that there are legitimate occasions for jealousy. For example, when someone is trying to win over your spouse away from you. And of course, God declares himself to be a jealous God who will not tolerate 
the worship of anyone or anything other than himself. Sinful jealousy, however, occurs when we are afraid someone is going to become equal or even better than us. Now, let's say, for example, we have a good job, but that other person who's just joined the company only six months ago, say, has caught the boss's eye. And he is better placed than us to get that promotion which we have set our heart on. That's jealousy in action. So, very quickly, we've looked at two definitions. I want now to turn it over to you and for you to do some Bible work. So, you'll see on the handout a series of questions halfway down the first page. And a health warning here. Don't turn over the page and look at the other side. Now, I know as soon as somebody says that, immediately you want to do that. But can I uh, ask you not to do that? Because some of the answers are on the second side. So it's a series of questions halfway down the front sheet. And there are a series of Bible passages to look at and some questions to answer. Now, I'm going to give you ten minutes. I doubt that you'll have time to go through all the passages. It doesn't matter. Um, so, ten minutes from now to look at those questions together on tables. Right, it's all gone quiet. I, I think you're still discussing, but uh, can I now draw us together? I know it's an impossible job doing those uh, four passages in ten minutes. Uh, but it's really a taster to give you a, a clear view as to the fact that the Bible... Um, is in no doubt as to what jealousy and envy are in practice. Um, So, rather than having feedback from all the tables, which might take too long, let me suggest some uh, responses. uh, And um, if you violently disagree with what I'm going to say, then do stick your hand up and uh, correct me. Okay, so Acts 5, I think it's probably fair to say that we have a mixture here of envy and jealousy in play because the Sadducees as as you may know were the wealthy upper class who were involved in the priesthood and so it does seem as if they were envious of an alternative religious movement that was successful they were envious of its success but it may also have been jealousy and may even have been more jealousy than envy uh, in that this new sect the Christians were in danger of threatening their own preeminent place in a religious hierarchy, as it were, in Jerusalem. Um, so that's probably what's going on there. I think the one from 1 Samuel is probably clearer as to which it is. It's Saul being jealous. Saul is intolerant of David's success, which is far greater than his own success. And then Genesis 4, um, probably here, envy. Cain is envious that Abel's offering was accepted by God and his wasn't. And the passage is not explicit as to the reason, but it was most likely a problem with Cain's heart attitude. So, for example, Hebrews 11 verse 4 reads, By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And also we read in Genesis that Abel brought the firstborn of the flock as an offering. What did Cain bring? We don't know, but the passage does not say that he brought the best. So probably envy in play there. And then finally, Esther 5, which will be familiar to all of us from the sermon series, probably jealousy. 
Haman is jealous that Mordecai is an insult to his own power as he sits at the king's gate. That's Mordecai sitting at the king's gate and not trembling before him, Haman. He's in a strange way jealous of that, even though he has all the power. So those are some examples from the Bible of this going on in practice. We've looked at the problem. What about the remedy to envy and jealousy? I'm going to suggest uh, three remedies, which again are taken from uh, a very helpful list from Jerry Bridges. Um, I think it's very important, though, that we see these in play together, not as isolated remedies. So, number one, uh, we must look to the sovereignty of God. What do I mean by that? Uh, We must recognise that God gives to us sovereignly our talents, our abilities and our spiritual gifts. And if we're to successfully resist the temptation to be envious or jealous, we must bring God into the picture. 1 Samuel 2 verse 7 says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. And likewise Psalm 75 says, It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. So we must remind ourselves, I'd like to suggest, every day that it is God who graciously determines not only what abilities we have, but also the degree of those abilities. And he also determines the blessing he will give upon the use of those abilities. Can I suggest that to put it bluntly, we must recognise that to be envious or jealous of someone is either getting rid of God from the picture or else accusing him of being unfair in what he's given us. And that's quite serious, isn't it? So that's the first suggested remedy. Secondly, if envy or jealousy occurs in the church, we need to remember that all of us, as Romans 12 verse 5 says, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And reading on Romans Uh, 12 verse 10 adds love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honour instead of being envious of those who have some advantage over us or being jealous of those who may be overtaking us in some way we should honour and applaud them because we're all members of the same body in Christ and then finally under this section third remedy we should realize that if we spend emotional energy or envy or jealousy we lose sight of what God may uniquely be doing in our lives there's no such thing as second rate or third rate God has a place and an assignment for each one of us which he wants us to fill and it may be true of course that some tasks can bring more human recognition than others but every one is important in God's plan. So that's a very quick overview of envy and jealousy. What about competitiveness? What is competitiveness, for example? Well, I think we can define it as the urge to always win, to always win, always being the top dog in whatever we are doing. Now, a much shorter section on discussion now. Um, So look at those four passages and very quickly work out where the bad sort of competitiveness is in play and where the right attitude 
is being spoken about. Um, can I suggest probably six minutes for this if you're really quick? Maybe get a different person around the group to read each of those passages. Right. Again, I'm sorry that there really wasn't enough time to look at those passages in detail. Um, let me summarise what I think uh, is here, but I'm going to ask you a question which I'm going to throw open to see what you think. Um, first of all, I think it's, we'll agree, wouldn't we, that it's pretty clear from the 2 Timothy passage and the Colossians passage what it's talking about here. It's working heartily for the Lord and, what for, and not for men. We'll look at that in a little more detail in a moment. But I, the question I want to ask is the 1 Corinthians passage, which you probably all had a chance to look at, is that encouraging competitiveness or not, and why? So I'm going to throw that open. This is the one opportunity you've got this morning to contribute publicly. So would anybody brave like to say why it's probably not competitiveness in action? Any takers? Be brave. Mandy. Please do. There's a Chinese saying that in the first one speaking, we're just we forgotten the So, so is it to understand that actually um, he's saying we do need to, we do need, we cannot be lazy, but the approval is is looking towards Christ, yes. not just to compare holding on to with others. No, that's very helpful. And any other thoughts too? I guess it's that we're not. Yeah. We should still be striving to achieve, but it's our the prize that which we are going for. Yes. Um, and then also the fact that we should, as Manu was saying, it's not that we're looking around to see what the other competition is. Mm-hmm. We're yep. going to be best for ourselves for the world to achieve that eternal prize, rather than having our mind on the sort of narrow, yes. now prize yep. and how everyone else is trying to do it yeah. around us. No, thank you very much. I think between you, 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 you've got it. It's interesting that unlike a normal race, when the winner wins the prize, everyone who perseveres wins the prize. And as you've both said, one's looking to focusing on God and to win his approval. Uh, but we're doing it with the intensity as if we were competing, but we're not competing against other people. We're looking to Jesus the whole time. Um, so I just wanted to, to sort of draw that out a bit because it's not necessarily clear if one's looking at the question of competitiveness. Now, on the other side of this, the wrong sort of competitiveness, we've got Ecclesiastes and James. And again, I think that's pretty clear uh, what's wrong there. It's interesting, I think, that the Ecclesiastes passage is suggesting that in a fallen world, it's the one who's been successful. That person has been driven on by his or her envy of others. So you can see how these areas coalesce and come together. So let's apply this if we can. Competitiveness, as I've said, is the urge to always win or to be top dog, whatever we're doing. And just to give some examples before we apply the remedy, as it were, uh, this begins at an early age, doesn't it? Because children can be quite upset if they don't win a simple uh, board game, for example. Or, uh, and I hope I didn't do this, 
If you're a father and you watch your son playing football, you don't get cross if your son's team doesn't win. But it can happen. Uh, and what I'd like to suggest is that at root, competitiveness is basically an expression of selfishness. It's the urge to win at someone else's expense. And it's certainly not loving our neighbour as ourselves. But most important of all, the remedy is that to do our best should not be motivated by selfishness. It should be motivated by a desire to glorify God, not to win recognition for ourselves. Recognition may indeed come, but it should never be our motivation. And what I'm saying here, of course, is that friendly competition is fine. Uh, But what I am saying is that the competitive spirit that always has to win is wrong. So let me finish by talking about another sort of competitiveness that's very prevalent in England today. And it's the support of a particular team. Now, as I stand here, England are about to play up the road at Headingley, so you can immediately see the relevance of this. But probably, generally in this country, it's more likely to be a Premier League football club that somebody supports. Let me give you two extreme examples of what that support of a club, a football club, might mean, and then I'll draw it back and see how we're probably not guilty of these, but we may be guilty uh, slightly lesser to extent. So, for example, and I'm not going to say which club it is, but at a particular Premier League ground, there is a placard that says, dot, 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 the name of the club, and the religion. That just makes a point, doesn't it? Another example, which applies from a few years ago, um, I once knew a vicar in a West Midland city, again, I won't say which city, and he said that if the local football team Uh, Division 1 at that stage, lost on a Saturday, the collection would go down on a Sunday. Now, we might think that is absolutely stupid. And indeed, it is. But it's where society is at. And I think, even as Christians, we can begin to fall into that particular mode of doing things. And what I'd like to suggest is that if we do that, we're actually being guilty of idolatry. We need to watch ourselves. So, for example, if we support a particular team and that team loses on a Saturday or a Sunday or during the week, um, how do we feel afterwards? Are we miserable for the rest of the evening or do we feel down? And that, I'd say, is, is an example of idolatry in action. So, it's not wrong, I'd like to suggest, to support a particular team, England in the Test match, for example, hoping they will win, but it is wrong if that becomes the be-all and end-all, and it actually influences how we live our lives as Christians. Uh, The reason I added that in is I think it's so easy to become sucked in to that mentality. Maybe it's just me, but uh, I suspect that it may resonate around this room as well. So let me just pull everything together, and I'm going to pull it together by reading two passages from Scripture. Um, Look them up if you'd like to, but there's no need to if you don't want to. But the first is from Romans, chapter 8, verses 5 to 11. Okay. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. To which, let me add, famous verse from 2 Corinthians It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I'd like to suggest, as as we finish, that we need to pray constantly that these verses may be our experience. That, to put it succinctly, we should be who we are. We should be who we are. And that is a new creation in Christ. We need to keep looking to Jesus, who on earth, of course, lived a perfect life without envy, without the wrong kind of jealousy, and without a competitive spirit. So that should be our focus, I think, as we're tempted to envy, jealousy, or competitiveness. Uh, So let me close in prayer now. Do thank you, Heavenly Father, that in Christ all things are made new. Thank you that in Christ we have been made a new creation in him. And so we ask that you would help us through the power of your spirit to put aside feelings of envy, of jealousy and competitiveness. We ask that you would conform us into the likeness of the Lord Jesus, our Saviour. And it's in Jesus' name we now pray and to his glory. Amen.